This morning, I want to start out with an illustration on Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 13 to 14. It has to do with my godly uncle that was, had such an impact in my life. He was my mother's brother, my favorite uncle, because I saw in him godliness that I have rarely seen in anyone. Now, the interesting thing about him, <laughs> she had something on her mind, I think. Um, the interesting thing about him, he was Wesleyan, and I used to go to church with him. He taught, of all things, the ladies' Sunday school class when I first started going with him. He was in a pilgrim holiness church. Anybody ever heard of that? Strong Wesleyan. He taught later the young men's class. As I grew up as a teenager and we would visit, I would go to class and hear him teach. I loved him. And when I graduated from seminary, later at about the age of 29 or 30, somewhere in that vicinity, I received a letter from him and he was praising God that I was going into ministry and that I had just graduated from seminary. But he said, I want to give you a warning. He said, I know the scripture says no one can take you out of God's hands. And he said, I believe that. But he said, you can jump out. You can jump out of God's hands, so you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Now, he was Arminian, he was Wesleyan, and he believed that you could lose a genuine believer, could become ungenuine, that you could lose your salvation. And I remember thinking about that. I believe with all my heart that the Scripture says, if you are a genuine Christian, you are going to be Christ-like. We sang that in some of the songs today, that we would sin no more. That, John says that doesn't mean that we will never sin, but we will no longer practice sin. We will no longer be a slave to it. We're going to be different people because the Spirit of God is in us and has changed us and given us new life. We know that. But have you ever had those doubts of things going on in your life where you think, man, could I lose it? Could I jump out of his hand? Maybe at times, all of a sudden, you've found some sin in your life and you begin to go, oh my goodness, am I secure? Am I going to make it? Am I genuine? Maybe it's, it's been not only a sin in your life, but, but you've struggled with things, you've had doubts, you've wondered if you've got it to persevere to the end. And so you struggle. Probably all of us, if we were honest, might say, yeah, we've had struggles. We've, we've had some doubts. We've, we've had some wondering about whether we are going to make it all the way. So how do we handle those? You handle them by looking at the Word. We will all have doubts. We will all have those days when we fail miserably and we have to get on our knees before God and we have to go to other people and say, will you forgive me? Will, will, you, will you pardon what I've done? I, I was wrong. And then we go before the Lord and confess that same thing. Does that change our relationship with Him if we are His child? 
That's the kind of thing that we're wrestling with when we talk about the role of the Spirit of God in man's salvation in verses 13 and 14. I can even recall after growing up till about the age of 13 or 14 in a United Methodist church. It's the same one that Ann went to. We, we both, she went all the way through high school, but my mom became a Christian when I was in about the eighth grade or ninth grade, and we started going to an Assembly of God church. They are also Arminian. They believe genuine people can lose their salvation. And I can remember on Sunday nights, because mom said, all you kids are going to church with us, morning, Sunday evening. I can remember people coming up and giving testimony that they had lost their salvation and gotten it again. And they were back. And I, I seem to remember that during those years, there were more than one people that did that more than once. They got it back again, and they got it back again. They lost it, and they had it. That was part of my background. Mostly Wesleyan, mostly Arminian, that you can lose it. But what I want you to see this morning as we get into these two verses, just two verses today, I ought to be able to do that in 40 minutes. Two verses. Let's read them. First, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. We've had the role of the Father the role of the Son in our salvation, and now the role of the Spirit. In Him, Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel in Him, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Wow, what does that mean? What is He a pledge of? What does that mean that He sealed me? What does that word mean? We're going to look at that this morning. And the first thing I want to do is just review again. Think with me. The Father is the source of our salvation in Ephesians 1. He's the planner. He was behind it all. He chose us before the foundation of the world in Him to be holy, to be set apart for Him, and to be blameless. And we are, when we stand before God, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. It's ours. We, therefore, are without blame. But we're to live blamelessly, too, by the power of the Spirit. But the Father is the one who predestined us to adoption as sons. Before the foundation of the world, He chose, He predestined. Then the Son comes along, and in verse 7 and following, He is the basis of our salvation. The Father chose us to be His sons, but we could not be His sons unless a price was paid. And Christ was our Redeemer. He paid the price that only could be paid to satisfy God so that He could be just and the justifier. We could be righteous in Christ because He died in our place. He shed His blood. He sprinkled it in the heavenly tabernacle for us. 
so that we could be redeemed. He forgave us of all our sins. He made known to us the mystery of his will as he purposed in Christ. He obtained our inheritance. But then the Spirit comes into play. What's his role in this whole plan of salvation? He is the one who applies everything that the Father chose and the Son provided with his death. He comes along and he makes it personal. He applies it to us individually in our lives. And part of that, what he does, part of that application is being talked about here. It's interesting that each person of the Trinity has their role in salvation, and yet at some times we see there's even overlap. I think we see some of that here in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. But we also see from other passages that the Holy Spirit comes along and he applies the salvation that Christ has procured, that he has planned. He makes it ours. He came along in my life back when I was still a young man, Ann and I newly married, first year of marriage, and the Spirit of God one night, as you've heard me say, opened my eyes to see and my ears to hear and brought salvation to me. At some point, he did that to you if you're here this morning and you know him. And the reason the Spirit was involved in the application is we know from 1 Corinthians 2 and other passages that unbelievers don't get it. Unbelievers do not understand the Word of God. They can't. Paul goes on in that passage to say, look, the rulers of the world didn't get it. If they had gotten it, they wouldn't have crucified the Son of God. But they didn't get it because it's by the Spirit. So the Spirit comes along, and He's involved. There's overlap. Jesus, it says, He reveals the mystery of God in Himself, the one that was a mystery in the Old Testament, yet he was there. And now he's revealed more clearly in the New Testament. Jesus, who is the revealer of that mystery, it is the Spirit that comes along and makes that plain to us. You're lost, you're in sin, and you need a Savior. And he opens our eyes to see our need and our poorness and our inability to help ourselves, and we see that Christ provided and we look to Him. The Spirit of God does that. We see it. There's another key passage that the Spirit is at work in, and I want you to see it, and I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 7, where the Spirit is at work in applying what Christ did in his death and burial and resurrection. So look at chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, and just think this through with me. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? God forbid. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus 
have been baptized into his death. That's talking about not water baptism, but spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you get that? We've been raised. There is a resurrection that we've already experienced, and it's the Spirit's work in our heart, taking what Jesus did on the cross and raising us up to life in the inner man. We've had one resurrection. We're waiting for a second one that's coming when Christ comes back again, but we've had one in the inner man. We're a two-part being. We're a spirit being, and, and we have a fleshly body, and we're going to get a new body. That resurrection is future. But you and I, who we are in the image of God, has been changed if we're Christians. And it's been by the work of the Spirit applying the work of Christ on the cross. Just as Jesus was raised, He raised us up to newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's begun if we're Christians. Knowing this, that our old man, that which we were in the inner man, dead, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our transgressions, spiritually dead. Now we've been raised to life. Knowing this, that our old man, that which we were, was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be, and a better translation here than be done away with is rendered powerless. Our flesh was our enemy. Our flesh is still unredeemed, and it's an enemy. And it still fights us every day. Have you noticed it? It wants to do what it wants to do. It's like the dachshund we used to have in our early days of marriage for 17 years. That dachshund always wanted to do what it wanted to do. Sometimes when I would leave the house, I'd have to go crawl under this large bed to dig it out and put it in its room because it knew we were leaving. And I had some words for that dachshund and with that dachshund. It still didn't change it. Our bodies like that. But we've been changed, and it's by the Spirit we have been saved because of the work of Christ, because of the choosing of the Father, and because of the applying work, the application of the Spirit of God to make me a new creature in Christ. Now, all of that moves us forward and leads us up to the Spirit's work of sealing. The Spirit also seals us. What does that mean? What does it mean to be sealed? We can ask some questions about that, and we're going to. And the first one is, okay, what exactly happens to me when the Spirit seals? I see that He reveals the truth to me. I see that He gives life and opens my eyes. I see that He gives me power to render the deeds of my body and make them fruitless. 
Paul will say in Romans 8, if you are not putting to death the deeds of your body, the flesh, by the Spirit, you will die. We've been given power, we've been changed, we've been made new in Christ, not only so that we can now have a relationship with God, but we can put to death the deeds of our flesh and live. And that's why Paul started out with that question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You've been changed. How can someone who died to sin still be living in it? They can't. So the Spirit reveals, the Spirit gives life and changes us, and the Spirit comes along and He seals. Now, as we look at this and understand it, here are some things that we can say. When we look at that word sealing, we, we have seals today. We stamp documents. We put seals on products. But when you look at the scriptures, there's the same kind of meaning. Here's, here's some ways in which this is used. It refers, number one, to a completed or a finished transaction. Listen to a verse, Romans 4.11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith. He's talking about Abraham. He received the sign of circumcision, which was evidence of the righteousness of faith which he had while uncircumcised, but now he has a seal. The seal is showing that a transaction is done, it's finished. That's one thing that a seal does. Secondly, a seal refers to something genuine. People today put a seal on a piece of pottery saying this is genuine. People put a seal on a contract saying our agreement is finished, it's final. So it refers to something genuine. John 3.33 says, He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. Genuine. God is genuine. I set my seal to that. It's true. He's true. Thirdly, it refers to ownership of something. Here's a verse, Romans 8.16, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He owns us. We're His. That's part of the sealing ministry. And then fourthly, it refers to something that has been made secure. It's never going to change hands. It is secure. It is a seal that means it's mine, and it will be mine always. Here's a verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. We've been sealed unto and for the day of final redemption when our bodies will be changed, when Christ will return, we've been secured. The sealing of the Spirit secures us. Now, all four of these words tie in with the sealing of the Spirit here. All four of those definitions, all four of those things. Where what God has done in us is finished. What God has done in us is genuine. He's put his stamp there. It refers to ownership. He, we are his children. We belong to him. He chose us. He redeemed us. He has applied 
now through the Spirit, a sealing ministry to say, no one can take you out of my hand. You are mine. You're secure. When does this occur? When, when does this occur? Well, if you look at the passage back in Ephesians, let's go back there. Notice again what he says in verse 13. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. When did it occur? After you believed. After your faith was put in Christ. It's very similar to justification. Now, when it comes to the work of the Spirit in revealing, when it comes to the work of the Spirit in regenerating and giving life, that comes before belief because we, have, we don't have understanding. We don't have life. We have no relationship. We have nothing. After the Spirit does that work of revealing and then coming along and regenerating, after that is done comes faith. And when we believe we are justified, faith and justification go together. Justification is being declared righteous in Christ right? It's what it is. That comes when we believe. So does sealing. So does the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what is that? What happens there? It occurs when we put our faith in Christ, when our eyes are open and we see and we believe and we trust the Spirit comes in. I want you to turn back with me to Ezekiel. Back to the Old Testament where here it is written about the new covenant. And just a couple of verses, listen and think this through. The Lord says through Ezekiel, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, this is in verse 26 now. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. That's the new birth. That's the cleansing. That's the giving life in the inner man, a resurrection. We become a new creature in Christ. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And, get this next verse now, in addition to having a new heart, a resurrection, now you've been made alive in Christ by the Spirit. He goes on to say, and I will put my Spirit within you and cause you, get this one, cause you because the Spirit's in you I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Can you imagine? Not only do we have new life, Old Testament saints had new life. The only way they could be saved is to put their faith in the Messiah that was to come and they would receive new life. Paul, not Paul, but the Old Testament writers, Moses talked about it as circumcision of the heart, a change in the heart. They had it too, but you know what they didn't have? 
They did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit until the new covenant is unfolded. The Holy Spirit came and went. With us, He comes in to take permanent residency. And therein lies the sealing. He comes in to live within us. He seals us for God the Father and the Son and for all eternity. He does His work. We are sealed. We are made genuine. We are secure in Christ. We don't have to worry anymore. We don't have to wonder if we're going to jump out of God's hands. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 9. In John chapter 9. Excuse me, 10. John chapter 10. We're going to read the words that my uncle was talking about when he, when he um, wrote his letter to me. Verse 11, no, excuse me, over in verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never, did you get that word? Never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That's what my uncle was referring to. No one will snatch you out of his hand, but you can jump out. Well, who would want to? Who who knows the Lord, who has been redeemed, who has, had, who has been changed in the inner man, and who has had the Spirit of God come in to live in that new inner man and seal him forever? Who would want to? And who could? He says, you will never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them uh, to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. Get this now. When the Spirit comes in and lives within us and seals us, we are in the Son's hands, and the Son is in the Father's hands, and no one will snatch us out, including us. No one. The Spirit of God seals. The Spirit of God comes in to live permanently and to change us. Will we have some rough days? Maybe I'll ask it another way. Will we have some rough elder meetings? Yeah, we will. We will. But the Spirit of God is in us. The Spirit of God continues to change us and transform us into the image of the Son. And the Spirit of God secures us and seals us. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus Christ today, your hope is eternal, and it is sure. And you don't have to worry about, will I jump out? Will tribulation, if it gets worse in this country, if they start hating Christians and hating the Word of God, they already hate the Word of God. 
And now I think the hate is turning towards us. Will we make it? Yes. We will. Not because of our strength. Not because of anything that we can do or put together. But because of the work of the Spirit in us. Sealing us. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Back to Ephesians. And look at verse 14 now. This is kind of like the, the, the cap on top of it all that seals it all. He's the one who see, we are sealed in him, the end of verse 13, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge. As a pledge. It's a pledge from God. Does God lie? Does God ever say anything that's false? Can you ever catch him not speaking the truth? What we read in 14 is, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Spirit of God comes in to seal and he comes in as a pledge that God's word is true, that our inheritance is sure, that the redemption of our body is coming when he comes again. And we do not have to worry about anyone or anything taking us out of his hand. That is such a blessing to me. We're not working our salvation, folks. We're, we're not trying harder so that we will make it to the end. We're going to make it to the end because we are His. We've been bought with a price. Can anyone bring a charge against God's elect? No. Can anyone remove the love of God from His elect? No. Never. And the Spirit of God is the pledge and the seal that we are God's. We are His. Salvation wasn't just a temporary thing. Salvation wasn't something that was ours if we could just hold on to it and be good enough and to go to church enough. That's not it. Salvation means we are His and have been changed by the grace of God forever and ever. And we will be with Him and fellowship with Him from the day that Christ comes back or sooner, if we're taken before then, we will be with Christ forevermore with no death, no sin, no temptation, secure for all eternity, all because of Jesus Christ, all because of the work of the Father, all because of the procuring of the Son to die in our place, and because of the work of the Spirit to open our eyes, to change us in the inner man, to give life, and then of all things, to come in and live, to live inside and give us the power that we need. That's why when we get to Ephesians chapter 3, 
we're going to see Paul saying, I pray for you all the time that you will be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit with power so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Are you praying that way? Do you realize the Spirit has come in to seal, to be a pledge that what Christ accomplished and what the Father chose is going to happen forever? What, what joy that should bring. When Satan comes and whispers in your ear, are you good enough? You can say, no, I'm not. But he is. And what he did is good enough. And it will last forever. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Because there's going to be coming days down the road where you're going to be tempted to doubt it. I guarantee you, you need to go back to the Word of God. You need to look at what it says. You need to embrace it. You need to call upon the Spirit. You see, there is one little caveat in this thing that I'll end with. It isn't, this isn't just for those who walk an aisle and sign a card, make a profession of faith. I made a profession of faith at the age of 13 or 14, and it was as bogus as you could find. I walked up in an evening service, made a promise, remained unsaved. How do I know I'm really saved then? Great. It's, it's by grace through faith. Yes, because you know you have life. You know you love the Word. You know you love the Lord. You know you want to pursue righteousness. Yes, you fail. But you also know you confess. And that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you do that. That's how you know you're His. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You know God's at work in you. You know you're the genuine article, and if you are, you are sealed until the day of redemption of the body and the new heavens and new earth. I can't think of anything to be more thankful for than our salvation and the surety that it isn't just for a while in this life, it is forever. Father, we thank you this morning for your so great salvation. And we acknowledge that we are unworthy. We've never been worthy. There's never been anything in us that was good, that merited your favor. We have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to offer except Jesus Christ and his blood. Thank you, Spirit, for applying that to us individually. Thank you for giving us life because of the work of Christ. And thank you for securing that work and sealing it and the pledge of our inheritance. 
we will be eternally grateful. We pray these things to the praise of the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.